0: You are listening to the Purpose of Money podcast. How Paragon Investment Partners are dominating multifamily real estate, one multi-million-dollar deal at a time. You are listening to the Purpose of Money podcast, a podcast where we talk about ways to build wealth and create more freedom in your life today. I am your host, Aquania Escarnet. Hey guys, welcome back to the Purpose of Money podcast. This week, we're going to continue the series that I'm doing for the month of June on investing in real estate. In case you missed it, please make sure to check out episode 13 with Tanya Salseth. She's a real estate investor who's managed to invest and manage her properties from anywhere in the world. She lived abroad, she purchased properties from overseas, and now she lives in the U.S. and actually runs her business from another state. Now, this week, we're going to talk about multifamily syndication and why you need to think about real estate as a great way to build wealth. I was doing some research and here's what I learned. America has the most millionaires and more than 18 million people with a seven-figure net worth. Unfortunately, that is not equally distributed among the people. Black people make up 13% of the U.S. population, but only possess less than 3% of the country's wealth. In fact, when you break that down into single Black women, the net worth of a single Black woman with a degree aged 20 to 39 is negative $11,000 to $0. Come on, y'all. When I read that, I had to read it twice because I was like, there's no way they actually have a negative number here. But yes, single black women with a degree age 20 to 39 have a negative net worth. Single black women with a degree age 40 to 59 have a net worth of $6,000 to $9,500. And single black women with a degree who are over the age of 60, $11,000 in net worth. Now let me tell you why this is a problem. In your 60s, you wanna retire, and yet you don't have enough money to do it. In comparison to white women with a degree ages 20 to 39, their net worth is $3,400 to $7,500. That is way more than African American single black women, and it's a positive number. But white women age 40 to 49, have a net worth of $25,000. And white women ages 50 to 59 have a net worth of $117,000, $117,000, like they're in the six figures. And white women with a degree over the age of 60 have $384,400 as their median net worth. Do you know why these discrepancies exist? Because I was startled by the stats and I had to know more. So I kept digging and found out that some of the greatest reasons for the discrepancies is the paid wage gap, of course, because black women are earning 62 cents for every dollar white women make, but also because of inheritance and education. White women are more likely to inherit land, money, resources, and pursuing education in comparison to young Black women. And we've learned from COVID-19 in 2020 that in moments of crisis, those who have the least will hurt the most. So that's why I am determined to spend this month talking about the importance of building wealth, building generational wealth, and pursuing entrepreneurship and real estate careers you can do entrepreneurship and invest in real estate and still have a nine to five where you're earning a paycheck this series is here to empower women of color to take a stance and use their creative investor money from their nine to five to invest in ventures that will create passive income and more wealth for their families i hope that you stay tuned to the entire series I hope you take advantage of the gems because this is great information and our guests are doing it now. And many of them also have other businesses or nine to five jobs. So I know that you can do it too. Now let's dive into the episode. This week, I have a dynamic duo on the show named Pam Dorsey and Nikki Dade from Paragon Investment Partners. Sam Dorsey and Nikki Dade are multifamily real estate investors focused on acquiring properties that generate passive income in working class communities. They founded Paragon Investment Partners with a desire to build a solid multifamily investment portfolio while introducing value-add opportunities for investors and the community. Paragon Investment Partners is invested in 300 units today. Without further ado, let's kick off this conversation with Pam and Nikki. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the episode. I just wanted to take a break to share with you one quick tip on how I am creating more free time in my life today. I am a busy mom, an entrepreneur, and a nine to five employee. And I have to be honest, I used to use trips to the grocery store as an opportunity to relax and go up every aisle and take my time and sort of have mommy me time. But since I've taken on more responsibility and extracurricular activities, I just don't have the time to go grocery shopping anymore. So I've embraced Instacart, which has helped me save hours of my life and get the grocery shopping done without me having to step into a store. Instacart delivers groceries from your nearby grocery stores right to your home and saves you hours on shopping. You literally can do everything online or even from your mobile phone. And most of the time, they can deliver the groceries within an hour. So, you get the food that you need, you save time, and you create more freedom for you to do other things, which is what I love. Check out Instacart for yourself. I have a code that allows you to earn $10 off and a free grocery delivery on your first purchase. My code is A. E S C A R N E 1 4 C or check out the show notes where I have a special link and I'll include the code there too, just for you. Hope you try it out and let me know what you think. Hey, ladies, welcome Pam, welcome Nikki to the show. We're so glad to have you on the Purpose of Money podcast. I'm really excited about our conversation today about real estate investing and multifamily units because that's your specialty, right? Yes.
1: yes.
0: Thank, Thank you, you for having us. us. <laughs> <laughs> welcome. So, before we get started, I kind of want to talk about your partnership and how you guys know each other because a lot of times, I have people ask me, "Should I get into real estate by myself, or should I get into real estate with a partner?" And I get different. I give different responses because I've done both. So I want to know your perspective. You know, why do you guys particularly work together, and how do you know each other? So we've known each other
2: for twenty five years, um, family friends, and we also had like interests in real estate, having owned properties before that single family. That we have rented out from time to time, and then just expanding our interests in the way of getting more knowledgeable about it from an investment perspective. Still on our own separate tracks, we had interest in um, in learning more about um, owning and operating. And I even went as far as to get my license to um, to do mortgage settlements, process mortgage settlement. So I. I'm a licensed title insurance producer in Maryland, and then Nikki got a real estate license, and we kept coming back to the fact that we had these like interests, and um, we decided to put our interests and our resources and our time together to build the business, which we did two years ago, and we haven't looked back. So I think it was born of you know our desire to be um, entrepreneurs, which we have always were serial entrepreneurs, we have several businesses between us, but then combining those like interests into um, what we started two years ago at Paragon Investment Partners.
0: Thanks, Pam. But I have a question to follow up on that thing, because you mentioned you're a serial entrepreneur with several businesses. So I'm hoping that those are all going well. What made you decide to then invest in real estate? So real estate is, um,
2: as you know, one of the most proven methods of growing wealth and long-term wealth and is solid and stable in times like this where the markets are volatile. Um, We have better control of the asset. There's greater tax advantages. Specific to multifamily, it was about economies of scale, like us putting forth resources and effort on a broader scale with a greater return, but probably with the same level of effort that we would if we were trying to do a, a, a fix and flip project for uh, a smaller scale um, single families, but separate single families, right? We just decided that that was the best um, investment strategy for us.
0: Oh, that's pretty cool. So Nikki, I want to ask you a couple of questions because you also are very busy prior to becoming a real estate investor. What are some of the things that you did before and How did that contribute to your experience and desire to also get into real estate investing?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I've been in both the public and the private sector, um, but never really had a lot of financial education or understood it from a literacy standpoint, um, just because I really didn't have that within my family. Mm -hmm. So seeing that there was a lack thereof there in that particular space, it really encouraged me to want to aspire to do more with that. I didn't have the resources that I needed to actually pursue my higher, uh, my secondary education. Um, at the time, and it was only, you know, really because my mom, she was a single mother, she was a teenage mom at the time. She had three kids. Um, just didn't have the resources, you know, available. And so, with that, it really um, put a desire in in me to make sure that I changed how I did things, right, so that I could create opportunities and, um, a means in a way for my child, you know, when it was time. So I decided to really, um, look into what I needed to do and learn. I got in a bit of a trouble, uh, with my credit when I was in school as well. And so I just decided I'm not going to do that anymore. I really want to have some type of freedom. I want to have the, um, the the vehicle to make sure i can support my child and and i knew at the time when we were looking at real estate um it, it's already tried and proven it's something that's that's there It it is certainly a way that you can build generational wealth and leave legacy and that was something that we really desired to do um so we we're like well let's go ahead and do it especially when our current president was put on the ballot we were like okay now's the time
0: No, I mean I'm serious. (laughs) He's quite an investor himself, so it's kind of assumed that that'll be a market that's going to flourish and probably not have as much scrutiny or challenges. So I can see your mind thinking that through and thinking this is an opportunity. So that's excellent. And it turned out to be correct. (laughs) Yep, that's very good assessment on your part. So that's where it kind of leads me to my next question that Pam, you can answer or Nikki, um, why apartment syndication? So you did mention a little bit about scaling and how that could be more lucrative for those who are not familiar with this space or what apartment syndication is. Can you kind of explain more about what that means and why it's more profitable to have multi units, multi family units than a single house here and a single house there? Okay,
1: so that's a two fold question. <laughs> <laughs> but, Nikki, I know you could do it. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna start with the top. A private syndication, simply put, is just a group of investors that pull their money together to purchase larger real estate acquisitions. That's the simplest way to put it so that people will understand. Vice, if you were actually pursuing um, a single family on your own, you would what? Source the deal on your own. You would fund the deal on your own. You would manage the project and then ultimately collect the profits on your own, right? Mm -hmm. In a syndication, you now split that amongst the group. So it's separated into two different um, categories. There's your active investors, which is the GP, which is the general partners. They're actually responsible for your day-to-day operations managing the project, sourcing the deal, finding the loan, securing the loan, also finding investors to actually come into the project. And they manage the asset the entire time. Then there's your limited partners that come in, which we call um, the LP. Those are your passive investors. So they're able to actually invest the money into the project and now collect what we call mailbox money.
0: I love that term. (laughs) I've never heard it before, but... Just for the listener's background, I participated in a virtual meetup with Nikki and Pam, and that was one of the terms that came up, and I love it. It's basically another way of saying passive income, money that shows up in the mail, you didn't have to do any work to get it, or at least not actively at the moment. Passive income may require some work in the beginning, for example, investing in the apartment syndication deal, mm-hmm. or having cash to put towards it, right. but it doesn't require day-to-day activity, day-to-day right. labor, exchange of your time for money, no anything tennis, like that. No toilets, none of that. <laughs> Great. Oh, so, yes. Mailbox money. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, uh, Pam, how, if you can, can you explain how you finance a deal? Because it's my understanding that multifamily units, these are like apartment buildings. These are apartment subdivisions. There are a lot of units. You guys, yourselves, you have 154 units. Actually,
1: we what? have 300 now.
0: We just, we just closed
1: on a project just yesterday. It's 146 units in Columbia.
0: About wow. Going. Okay. Over 300 units in your real estate portfolio. That's amazing. That's amazing. So Nikki actually
2: speaks (laughs) better to our financing because she's our numbers lady.
0: Okay. Okay. So Nikki, can you break down the numbers? Because I want people to understand what this really is. Like how much does it take to, there's two part question. How much does it really take to be an investor? Like one of the people in the deal. Mm -hmm. And then how much are these deals on average, the ones that you've actually uh, participated in?
1: Oh, okay. So I was beginning to explain also um, how the deals were broken out, right? So there's two types of um, offerings that you have, and they're private offerings, by the way, just basically means that they're not publicly traded on the stock market. Um, So there's a 506B, and then there's a 506C. The 506B is um when we it, it's funny, I heard someone talk about it. This but like, you can think of this as your buddies, right? You can invite your initial sphere of influence, right? You have to have a pre-existing substantive relationship with these people to actually let them know about the project that you're actually working on, right? Mm-hmm. And you can have a mix of investors that actually come into that project. They're either um, non accredited investors, which basically, I should probably start with accredited. Accredited investors, which means that you have a net worth or uh, liquidity that is over a million dollars with or without your spouse, or if you're non accredited, then actually fall in the other category. Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. With the 506B offering, you can invite both types of investors in those particular projects. With the 506C offering, it's limited to just accredited investors. And essentially what the Securities um, of Exchange Commission is trying to do is essentially protect the investors out there with that, um, with that mandate.
0: So you're, you're breaking down what types of deals you can have and who can participate, right? Uh-huh. So you're either an accredited investor who you said has a, a net worth of over a million dollars. It could be with your partner or it could be by yourself. But then you have others who can participate who are somehow connected to you, whether you have a business relationship or you've worked together on some initiatives in the past. You can invite them to participate in a deal, depending on what type of deal it is. So the second question was, well, how much do these really cost? You know, if you're bringing a group of people together, how many investors regardless of the definition of accredited or not accredited, how many investors do you typically need to come to the table? And how much money are every, is everyone putting up to purchase this acquisition? It's typically a
1: minimum of twenty five k
0: to join in, in these particular
1: offerings. Um, um, and it can go upwards to anywhere to as high as a million. The acquisitions that we've participated in, I'm going to speak to those, um, for instance, this one that we just closed, that one was $9.1 million. Um, we had um, in our last acquisition for Abbey Lake, which was 152 units, that one was $8.6 million, And we had about 65 investors that actually came into that project. You're also limited to the number of um, non-accredited investors or sophisticated investors that you can bring into the project too, which is 35. But in terms of accredited, there's no limitation on that number.
0: Okay. So that's a good said, reference. Yeah.
2: I will say it also is deal specific because we, there are deals that um, we get introduced to, to be considered for that the minimum is 50,000. And a lot of times those are the A class properties, um in the space. So we've seen as low as 25, but it's often 50 K. So
0: w- what is the class? Is that, the neighborhood of the property, or is that whether it's two bedrooms or three bedrooms and two baths? Like, how do they do this class? It's, class it's a, a, class B. It's a combination of neighborhood
2: and the asset. So, the year it was built. What are some of the characteristics of the property? Um, so, it's a combination. You know, if it's in the in a in a bad neighborhood, that you probably are going to have to, um, it's empty. There's no occupancy. Um, You're going to have to do a lot to get it rentable and keep it rented. It's usually a D class property. Um, C is older, like 30 something years old. It's, um, you know, it has some deferred maintenance. Those are normally your value add opportunities.
0: Right. just like a flip. So basically, for a larger scale, Larger scale. Okay. So it's still like when we were back in grade school, A plus properties are the superstars, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, probably yeah. fairly new, awesome neighborhoods, great luxury. schools, luxury difficult energy. to rent, very yeah, good retention. Money. Right. Luxuries and amenities. Okay. And then your D properties need a little work, probably are going to have a lot of turnover. So that's more work on the people who are running the day to day. Yep. Yeah. And then your B and Cs are your lane where you do really well at finding the potential, right? And using that leverage, leveraging that potential to make it a more profitable investment for your
1: investors, right? Exactly.
0: And it's a longer hold. It's typically like a five to seven year hold
1: that it takes to
0: actually do that.
1: Well, to give yourself a cushion, then only push it out to seven.
0: Okay. Typically five years. Okay, so the five years, is that how long you're projecting to own the property or is that how long you're projecting before you make a return or a profit?
1: That's how long we're projecting to own the property, to hold the
2: property. Okay. We're
0: getting okay. paid
1: pay distributions um, basically once we close on the project at the end of the first full quarter of ownership.
0: Okay, great. So you're also distributing dividends or profits every quarter. Yep. Okay. Quarterly. Quarterly. So in your opinion, because you're real advocates for real estate and I agree, I do think it's a great way to build wealth, but there are so many ways to invest in real estate and there are other ways that are passive as well. For example, I have ownership in a real estate um, investment trust or REIT. Do you feel like, apartment syndication is more profitable than REITs or house flipping or is it just a matter of your comfort level and the projections that you want to make how much money you want to make
2: so we are we don't operate in the REIT space so we can't speak to that but um for us it's about several things so it's how do you want to make your profit do you are you uh do a project and get a chunk of money and roll on to roll that into the next project or do you invest for long term hold cash flow consistent cash flow over time and for us we wanted to build portfolio and have long term security over time so you, you it just depends on how how you want your investments, what you want your investment strategy to be. And it can be combined because sometimes what we've found in the space is apartment syndications take a long time. Multi sourcing multifamily deals, if, even if they're not a syndication are harder to come by. And so you have to have the shorter term strategies to sustain you until you're able to do that next long-term deal.
0: Mm, That's that's a great point. So what do you mean by they take a long time to source? Are you saying that if someone tells you about a deal today, it'll take a while to close? Or are you referring to the fact that for the most part, you want to keep the property for five years? So this is about a strategy where you may be involved for five years. I'm talking about the former. So the
2: market is really hot for multifamily investing. And um, because the stock market and other uh, investments are more volatile, you know, you have people wanting to get into the real estate game, and you have a lot of big older <laughs> um, groups who have been in this space longer. They have more experience. They have long money, and they can swoop in and you know take over a deal quite quickly. So it's it's harder to source. Deal. we see deals all the time but they have there has to be enough skin in it for us to even put up the, the money that's going to be required to take it down the effort you know it it doesn't take a long time to do that it takes to me longer to find the right deal so right. there are tons of deals to be had but are they the right ones based on your investment strategy what returns you want to make how much you know uh effort and your investor pool, you have to your investor pool is gonna be made up of people who have the, the same goals and values for what they wanna get out of the deal as well. So um it's it's a marriage and you have to make sure the deals that you're getting into are gonna be beneficial in the long run, not just for yourself and what you're trying to accomplish, but for your investors as well. Right.
0: Got it. That makes a lot of sense nikki were you trying to say something yeah
1: i yeah. was saying also too because it every this th- this business on the commercial investing side because it is commercial investing it is a relationship business and so you really have to work hard to build and cultivate those relationships to get the right deal right that and makes sense Typically call off market mm-hmm. deals so she was saying we see a lot of deals and those are deals that we have um, we are actually on listings with different brokers, uh, brokerages, um, but those are typically the ones that are already picked over, right? But to get those pocket listings, which are those listings that they kind of hold for those buyers that they know that are going to close, those are the relationships that we're trying to build and cultivate and build a lot of it. So you have to work on those. We're new, mm-hmm. you know, within the space. Right now, which is why it's so important that we really push, you have to really partner with people that are more experienced than you are and leverage their resources and leverage their network and come into it and allow them to teach you, you know, the process, which is what we're doing. And while you're growing, you can also learn at the same time while you're building your portfolio and then in preparation when you can actually take over the project as well.
0: So how did you find your mentor or your support system? Were you already actively involved in real estate meetups or did you know this person and then decided I'm ready to take the next step? Can you help me? And solicited their help. We found our
2: our first mentor, we found just through research um, online. Yeah. And we interviewed with him and, you know, he was able to ask us questions. We were able to ask him questions. And um, very new. We were three months into, two months into our um, starting our business. So we didn't, we didn't, we knew what we wanted to get out of the relationship from an educational perspective. But so much about this. Is about this space is beyond just what you're going to get from an education perspective. I don't want to undervalue that because that's really important. We're, we are in it two years and there's so much more for us to learn. But at the time, as I said, it, we were two months in. and then you know so we, we went through the education, we went through um, group calls and sample deals, learning the business, getting our, um, getting our um, knowledge that way. And um, we learned later after we felt, we got to a point where we felt we knew as much as we wanted to know without jumping in, we're experiential learners. So we wanna, you know, go out and do a deal and just get our feet wet, learn the lessons. And so we quickly learned that um, we needed to be networking more. We needed to be exposed in the multifamily space more. And we started seeking out other um advisory opportunities so we started bringing people on our team in addition to the relationship we had we started expanding our advisory team to be able to pull and pull in different resources for the things that we were continuing to learn because initially we were learning about smaller scale multifamily we quickly learned okay there's this whole syndication space over here how do we get our feet in that like So we started making those relationships and learning from advisors in that space who leveraged us into how we got involved in into the the syndications that we did.
0: That's really awesome. So I do have to ask, because so far we've shared all the good news. You're over 300 units. You found a mentor online successfully. You have been able to master this business and get to this level in two years. But I want to know about the challenges. It's not all easy peasy. You don't just sign up and then the mailbox money starts. So tell us, what are some of the challenges you faced after you had the mentors in place that you had to overcome? And what did you do to overcome those obstacles?
1: Well, so Tammy talked about it very eloquently. That was actually one of our lessons. (laughs) Our
0: our mentorship that
1: we signed up for, we quickly found that... um, it wasn't really the right fit for what we needed to do. Um, we, we, Again, we, we're we, firm believers and you either pay up front because you're going to pay either way. You're going to pay up front or you're going to pay in lessons that you learn on the other side. So we decided to pay up front. But when we got in the program, we realized, well, wait a minute. you know, What is the purpose of us paying for this program if we aren't really able to leverage the resource that we have here? So we didn't really have the access that we thought we needed to have. We weren't able to actually partner with um, the other proteges that were in the program. We didn't know who was in the program. Um, Mm -hmm. We didn't, they didn't, this particular mentor didn't have any live events where you could actually capitalize on that particular opportunity as well. There were just a number of things that we found that didn't fit for us. Obviously there was money that was spent, but it was a lesson that was learned for us as well, you know, in that particular space. That wasn't what we needed. Now we had to go and find someone else and continue to go through that. We also jumped into our first deal because we, you know, Pammy talked about us being experiential learners. So we learned by doing. We got our butts kicked. <laughs> and I mean swiftly. We're still bandaging those moves. Yeah, we're still putting.
0: <laughs> and I mean, when we
1: say that, you know, we couldn't initially fund our deal. You know, we had spent the time really making sure that our credit was where it needed to be. We thought we had all of our ducks in a row and we could not get a lender. We were like, what is going on here? Like, why? We went through that. So finally, almost through the end of the deal, um, we actually had to fire our loan officer.
0: (laughs) Because they
1: weren't performing. (laughs) They weren't performing, you know? You need to. And we had to go with the hard money lender at the almost at the 11th, the 11th hour, right? <laughs> and we said then we will never be in a situation like that again, right? That we didn't have the right fit. Again, we didn't know. We did We did our research, think, we thought we did our research anyway, but found that it, it, it didn't work out. So this particular time we said, well, since we don't have the net worth and the liquidity, to play in the space that we were actually looking to play in, that's when we decided to put people on our team. See, that's also another beauty in this apartment syndication space. We, The reason why we didn't think or have the bandwidth to, to know that we could go into a space this large was because we didn't know that you could actually put people on your team, in place on your team to support you in areas that you don't have. That's something that you don't have the capability of doing in the single family space. So you have people that actually sponsor your loan. You have people that actually guarantee your loan. You know, we don't have the net worth and liquidity, but there's someone on our team that does, which affords us the opportunity to move forward in those deals. So learning that with that project, that that project that we tried to fund on our own, that we're still paying, so we... So we had to go through that. We've actually had to fire our property manager on that on that project as well. We've had to go through getting a new property manager. So there, I mean, there's been bumps and bruises, but we also understand that our why is a lot larger than all of the other adversities that we're going to be faced with through the business. And so we keep pushing forward, knowing that it's a long-term play and it's a long-term hold and stay encouraged. And you have to keep people around you as well that are successful, that that you can use as examples to kind of talk to you, that's when your network really plays a part as well um, in that support system. And we just keep fighting. But, no, it hasn't been roses the entire time. Um, Even with this deal that we just closed, it was a missed opportunity right before that. But our investors believe in us and, you know, stay with us and went into this next project with us. You know, that was a really good deal, really good project down in Texas that um, we missed out on. But it's okay. You know, what's for us is going to be for us.
0: I love that. That's a sign of you're resilient. You're also women of faith because you're like, it's it's the missed opportunity happened, but we're going to become stronger and better. And we have a support team of investors that are willing to ride with us. So I think that's amazing. I think that it just shows you pick the right team, but you're still acknowledging that sometimes you have to work on it. Sometimes you have to let people go. And I think that's hard for people to realize that who you joined the party with may not be the people who you leave with. Exactly. <laughs> and and you made some real decisions, like this is not a good fit. Or you are in this deal, but you're not doing your job. And we need a loan and you're not performing. Okay, you have to go, right? <laughs> and still having faith that, but we're going to close this deal. We're going to find someone. And then I think it's important that you also highlighted in real estate, sometimes you need more than one option. You know, some people call it three exit strategies. Mm-hmm. If I'm not able to flip this house, am I going to rent this house? If I'm not able to rent this house, am I going to sell this house? So in your case, you were like, we have a, a deal on the table. We can't get a loan from the loan officer. We're going to find a loan officer. But then we're going to look for a hard money yeah. lender. For guys out there, if you don't know what that is, that's another way to finance real estate deals. And they're not like traditional banks. Um, Sometimes real estate investors can't walk into a Wells Fargo or a Bank of America and get funding for these types of deals. So you have others out there who are willing to lend their own money or money of their group of investors. And so you are able to get resourceful and find other ways to finance your properties. And so that's awesome.
1: Let me tell you one more point.
0: We also understand
1: that loans are temporary stays, Right. So we, did, we didn't get discouraged with that. We were like, that's okay. We're going to use this to actually close the deal. But then we went on to establish our relationship with Eastern Savings Bank, who's our, actually our current sponsor for our meetup now, so that we could refinance into into permanent financing. The next day, once we closed, we started working on that like, I'm serious. <laughs> and we refinanced out of that hard money loan, and to secure financing with Eastern Savings Bank. And I'm sure
0: at a much better interest rate. Mm-hmm. At a much
1: better interest rate. It was about in October, was it? This past October?
2: August. August. Yeah. And and that introduced an opportunity, one, for our meetup sponsorship relationship, but a longer term relationship with a lender in the area who has who knows our investment strategy, who, when we're ready to source things, we can go to them and say, this is what we have. What can you do for us? And they are super responsive. They put us at the top of the list. They're like, you know, they presented it all made up. Yeah, you can do this, this and this. And you know, so that they're on our team, like, Mm -hmm. it it created an opportunity for us to bring Mm -hmm. yes with other people, partners to the team.
0: Relationships, relationships, relationships. Because to have a relationship with a bank like that or a lender like that is amazing because, like you said, now the next deal comes along. If you need to act fast, they're putting you at the top of the list. They're looking at the numbers quickly for you. They're giving you a realistic answer in a timely manner so you can take it or you can leave it. I think that's awesome.
1: We have that same relationship with our commercial lender as well, Greystone. We did the same thing. So we, we knew we were gonna pursue multiple things, right? We were gonna have units that were gonna be a little bit smaller in size that wouldn't quite meet the criteria of the other space that we're playing in the larger space. So that was Eastern Savings Bank. But for our larger lending vehicles, we partnered with Greystone, who's our platinum partner, sponsor. And that was a, a whole task as well. And she'll tell you I stopped her. <laughs>
0: Persistence, another great entrepreneur quality. (laughs) Oh, ladies, this conversation has been really awesome. And I'm so glad you shared so many real estate gems with my listeners. Before we close out, can you please let us know, how can we follow you and find you on social media if we want to continue to connect?
2: On Facebook, we're at um, Paragon Investment Partners.
0: And on Instagram, we're Paragon Partner. Got it. I'll make sure guys to include all of that in the show notes, also links to their website. So you can check out Nikki and Pam as they continue to grow their business. Congrats again on expanding in 2020. This is going to be a big year for all of us. And I'm so excited for your success. And I hope that everyone subscribes, listens, shares. This is a great topic. This is something that more people of color, more women need to be involved in. So I hope that this was helpful for you. Feel free to send me any questions if you want to learn more. Thanks for listening. I really hope you enjoyed that episode. Personally, I was inspired to start investing in multifamily syndications, These are big multi-million dollar deals and we need more women at the table. I hope some of the advice you heard today will help you get started and do your research on how you can get involved too. Remember, you can get the episode show notes on my website at thepurposeofmoney.com backslash episode 14 slash. Remember to connect with me on social at thepurposeofmoney on Instagram or at purpose underscore money on Twitter Remember, you can catch the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, and Podbay. They're all great apps that you can download and listen to the podcast on the go. I'm keeping a series on real estate investing going by releasing a new episode next week. Check it out on Wednesday, June 17th. In the meantime, keep building generational wealth. Thank you for listening to the Purpose of Money podcast. For more resources and information, check out my website, thepurposeofmoney.com. And while you're there, please sign up for our newsletter so you'll have the latest information on new episodes and blog posts. Until next time, keep building generational wealth, one dollar at a time.